On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about some essentials about the Lord's Supper. Yeah, we we have talked about the Lord's Supper before, but we got a few new considerations to to add to our dis- past discussions, and some of it actually has to do with COVID-related reactions and how this impacted the observance of the Lord's Supper. Yeah, lots of changes, and uh, we want to talk about that, look at the scriptures, and we're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- 381-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study, the first Virtual Bible Study for 2021, uh, January 7th. Uh, my name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Great to be with you, Jacob. It's been a long time. Yeah, we kind of bugged out for a couple of weeks and uh, yeah. uh, took a little time off because we didn't figure anybody else would be too inclined to be listening to the virtual Bible study on the last two eves. Uh, yeah. They were holiday eves, and so we just took those two weeks off. And we're but we're back in the saddle, ready to get going. I missed being here. It, yeah, uh, wasn't right. Uh, Kyle, is that you behind the controls? Yeah, it's yeah. been a long time, guys. Hardly recognizing. <laughs> yeah, you still you know you know you know what you're doing over there. Yeah, I hope. Yeah. Okay, getting forgotten. Yeah, I thought we might have to retrain everybody tonight, get back into the uh, sequence, but I think we're okay. We might need to train our listeners. The uh, number to call if you want to be a part of the program is eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. You can email us at questions at collegeu dot com. And the best way to participate tonight. If you don't want to have your voice heard, the voice heard is our number one uh, avenue. But if you'd like to share your comments with other listeners, sign in the chat room if you're listening to us live on the program tonight. So we uh, have still daily Bible reading calendars for 2021. You're getting you're getting behind now if you're not if you're not going. We do have the reading schedule up on our website. <clears throat> so if you go to our homepage at collegeview.com, you can find a link to a to a, a PDF version there on our website. You could download it, print it yourself. You can use it as an online reference point. But we'll still send you one, too. If you want a hard-printed copy, uh, send us your snail mail address to questions at collegeview.com. It's not too late to start, uh, and you can catch up over the weekend because it's a five-day program. Yeah. So you'll be, you, can be, you can be back on track by Monday. Yeah, that's right. So get, it, get, get, it on, get online, get it uh, from collegeview.com or send an email and get your paper copy. But in the interim, check the website to get the Boy, the, the uh, um, mail service has just really been messed up the last few weeks. I had some stuff that really got delayed coming to me and uh, had a, a friend, John, up in Missouri who had requested several copies of the Bible reading calendar so that he could give them out to some friends, as he typically does. And I mailed those over two weeks ago. He emailed me today. He hadn't got them yet. Ah, so well. I sent them to him again. I hope they get there a little faster. Okay. But right. uh, but we will get it out in the mail to you. All right. On to our topic of discussion tonight. All right. For our topic tonight, we want to talk about the Lord's Supper. And I entitled uh, the subject, Lord's Supper Essentials. Actually, I preached a sermon this last, win- uh, last Sunday night with that very topic. 
uh, people were interested, and I got a look, I got some feedback, and both both from those who were in person and heard, and those who listened uh, over the internet or who who picked up the stream over the internet. And there were some questions and maybe even some potential disagreement. And we don't mind disagreement; it can happen. Uh, but we want to we want to review all of that. I thought I thought our folks would be our listeners would be interested in discussing some of these things. And as we said, some of it has to do with COVID reactions. Uh, so yeah. here are the questions that I sent out earlier today. I mentioned that there's broad agreement on some parts, but a lot of disagreement on others. Number one, what are the actual elements that are to be consumed by Christians in observance of the Lord's Supper? Can there be any substitutions? And here's an interesting question that a lot of people wonder about. Was the cup fermented wine or was it grape juice? So that's the first question about the elements. And I think we got pretty wide agreement on that. There's a little disagreement sometimes. Number two, when should the Lord's Supper be observed? And how often should it be observed? Number three, now here's where we might get into a little controversy. Number three, can an individual Christian observe the Lord's Supper by himself? In other words, if I was by myself, isolated, no other Christians around on uh, uh, a given day, could I observe the Lord's Supper? Number four, does coming together virtually over the Internet qualify as an assembly wherein the Lord's Supper may be observed? I'm at home. But I'm I'm hooked up to the online stream from the local congregation, right, right. and when they get to the point of worship, uh, and they're they're observing Lord's Supper, can I observe Lord's Supper and that be okay? I'm I'm virtually assembled mm-hmm. with them. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Number five, if two or three are gathered together, of course that's a phrase from Matthew 18 verse 20. If two or three are gathered together, does that necessarily mean they can scripturally observe the Lord's Supper? Yep. And I think that's a kind of a hot-button topic right there. That's not new to the COVID, but it, it, it has been maybe amplified because of COVID questions. Okay. All right. So let's start out with number one. And these are things I think we generally agree about. What are the actual elements to be consumed by Christians in observance of the Lord's Supper? Well, I think, as I said, this is a place where I think there's pretty broad agreement um, uh, among all uh, who identify as Christians. It's the fruit of the vine and the unleavened bread. Okay. Now, every once in a while, you hear some outliers who are really out there in left field, you know, and they want to really be uber uh, contemporary. Mm-hmm. And uh, so instead of the bread and the fruit of the vine, they're going to have... Uh, Pepsi and pizza. Yeah, you know, in your face. Uh, but th- th- that's extreme, and yeah. I don't, there's not many people doing that. The reason why we uh, specify unleavened bread is because of the of what was taking place when Jesus Himself instituted the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, verse 26, beginning as they were eating. Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat. This is my body. Stop there for a minute. Okay, he took bread. What kind of bread would he have taken? Well, this this meal that they were eating at the time was the observance of the Passover. Right. And there were very specific rules about Passover observance. And Jesus, of course, perfectly kept the Old Testament law of Moses. And so he would have been observing what Exodus 12, beginning verse 19 says. 
Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether they be a stranger or born in the land, ye shall eat nothing leavened. In all your habitations ye shall eat unleavened bread. Jesus would have been observing that flawlessly. So we are absolutely certain that the bread that he used was unleavened bread. Therefore, we use unleavened bread. Uh, there shouldn't be any argument about that, and I don't think a lot of people typically do. Okay. Uh, now, go back to that Matthew 26 again. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 26, this will be about verse 27. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is the blood of my New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So it refers to the cup. Now, what was that? And why do we say it's grape juice? Well, in Luke, in Luke's account of the same activities, Luke 22, verse 17, he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take eat, or excuse me, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And so he took the fruit of the vine. Now, I think it's significant there that he did not, it does not say he took wine Actually, the, the Greek word for wine is oinos, and it's not in this text at all. This is a different word. And our friend Randy out in Colorado mentioned this in an email today. He said, obviously, the word wine is used a lot in the New Testament. However, the common word for wine in Greek is not used in the passage about the Lord's Supper. In English, we have fruit of the vine used in the Lord's Supper passages. That Greek word is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. I think I'm right. You can check yourself. It seems that the liquid used in the Lord's Supper might have been different from the commonly consumed wine. Well, the wine of New Testament times, that word oinos in the Greek, can refer to fermented or unfermented grape juice. And typically you have to let the context define that. But in this case, that word's not even in the context. And what we have instead is fruit of the vine, which I think is a clear reference to grape juice. So I think Randy's right on that. We appreciate his input on that. Um, Another argument that's made that this would have been, of course, that was one of our questions. Was the cup fermented wine or grape juice? Right. I think it's clear that it was unfermented grape juice just from the terminology used But there's also another argument that's sometimes offered. You know, in order for grape juice to ferment into alcoholic wine, there has to be the presence of yeast, which is a leavening agent. And it's argued, and I think it's probably a fair argument. I've never really been able to confirm how the Jews would have viewed that. Uh, and someone might help us on that. But but it's typically argued it couldn't have been fermented wine because the fermented wine would have had been leavened or had a leavening agent had yeast act upon the grape juice and therefore because it was the passover that would have been excluded now some people argue and remember the passover was observed in this in our springtime and uh of course also springtime in in the uh, land of canaan or palestine or mm-hmm. israel and the argument sometimes made well, it, it had to be fermented wine because the, the Jews didn't know how to keep wine from fermenting for any length of time, which is absolutely a false statement and is it, it, it is an uninformed statement. The Jews had multiple ways of keeping unfermented grape juice. 
And so this definitely could have been, and I think definitely was, unfermented grape juice. So our first question, what are the elements? Fruit of the vine, unleavened bread. Can there be substitutions? A few people are trying to substitute different weird things, but usually nobody does. When it specifies what what, it, what we want, then we're going to do what it specifies. Can we stop and, and say what this tells us about Bible authority? Because if this is sort of a sacred cow, you don't go messing with the Lord's Supper. Well, why not? Why, if, if, why can't I go and change that? Why couldn't we, you know, just for the young people? Right. It, ha- it, it, have pizza. It would attract a, more people. And Coke. And they'd like it more. It, it might even be more meaningful to them. Be more fun. More fun. You, you don't do that. No, and, nobody. And people would fight and, you. To, and nobody wants to do that. People would fight you tooth and nail. And what? Yeah. It, and so if you're going to say, no, you've got to stick with what the Bible says on this, then you've got to stick with what the Bible says on everything. You're not yeah. allowed to improvise in any area. When, when you say you shouldn't tamper with the elements of the Lord's Supper, you are making an argument for Bible authority. Now, you need to make that argument consistently. Right. That if you're not, if you can't change the Lord's Supper, then you can't change other things about the worship or anything else that the New Testament teaches us. Absolutely. And let's take it a little further. If we can't go changing the elements of the Lord's Supper, then we ha- can't go changing other aspects of the Lord's Supper. And so that gets into the rest of our program tonight. Is we're gonna, if we're going to demand Bible authority for the elements, we need to demand Bible authority for how we take it, where we take it, when we take it. Yeah. All right. Exactly right. Let's see. Let's see what our emailer said, Jacob. Uh, Kent says unleavened bread and fruit of the vine are the elements. Matthew twenty six twenty six through twenty nine. First Corinthians five seven and eight. First Corinthians ten sixteen. There can be no substitution. Colossians three seventeen and Second John well, verse nine. And those last verses he referenced argue for sticking with Bible authority. That's right. He says the cup that is to be used in observing the Lord's Supper is the fruit of the vine, that is unfermented grape juice. Nowhere in the New Testament is the cup referred to as wine. Oinos. Oinos. Uh, which can either be fermented or unfermented grape juice, such as exclusively referred to as fruit of the vine, which is specific grape juice. The specific authority of limiting the, the bread to that of being unleavened bread in its nature, which would exclude the fermentation process of leavening, also includes the same principle of exclusion, exclusion regarding the cup, necessitating that such be unfermented grape juice or fruit of the vine. Yeah, I, th- I agree with Kent on that. I think he's right. Dwight's out in Iowa. He says the elements would be unleavened bread and fruit of the vine, which is grape juice, not an alcoholic wine. We are not at liberty to change the elements. Some denominations have substituted other ingredients, but they have no authority to do so. And then Mohan's up in Chicago. Mohan, good to hear from you. The elements of the bread are bread and fruit of the vine. We cannot go beyond these two elements, Mohan says. See, you know, that, that, all of this is showing, and I think these, we would expect these guys to agree anyway, but this, there's just no question about this. Everybody is on the same page when it comes to the elements. But I think your point, we need to be consistent. If we're going to make those arguments and demand consistency on the elements, then we got we got to keep that same thought process in regards to all. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. We need to be aware of that and understand that, yeah, you don't want to go messing with this. Well, why is it any different than our singing or music in worship? Why is it any different than uh, the work of the church? Why is that any different? It, it's the same. And God views it the same. God yeah. expects us to be following the instructions he's given us. Here's what Jim in Kentucky says. The elements are unleavened bread and fruit of the vine, grape juice, Matthew 26, 26, and 28, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. Elements are used... Elements used during the Feast of the Passover, Matthew 26, verse 17, are also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So we know unleavened bread was used. The drink was wine, oinos, non-fermented wine, or simply juice of the grape. There's one clarification there on Jim's comment. I think he's right, non-fermented wine or simply grape juice. But actually, oinos is not in the text there. 
Uh, I mean, that's the general word for wine, both fermented and unfermented grape juice. In the New Testament, the word typically is oinos. But in, in the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus specifically said fruit of the vine. And he says no authority of the Lord. No, the authority of the Lord does not provide for substitutions. Thank you, Jim, for your comments. And, uh, yeah. Okay, good. All right. So, again, usually we have pretty wide agreement on, on those questions. But we're going to get into some stuff here after the break where maybe we'll have a little more disagreement. All right. Time for a break. And when we get back, we'll get your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Here's a quick thought. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians 2, verse 3. Here's a challenge for today. Put others before self. Determine to take the position of a servant. It's what Jesus did and what he calls us to do. That's true love. Think about it. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. In the school of experience, no one ever graduates. Christians are like coals of fire. Together they glow, apart they die out. He who hates only punishes himself. A poor listener seldom hears a good sermon. Man, wish I'd said that. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight uh, as we talk about the Lord's Supper and some essentials around that. No, there during the break, Jake, we had a little bit of a new item there. Uh, our friend Harv Rary up in Altoona, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. ha- has sent us a number of recordings. He, he calls them a quick thought uh, we're going to try to incorporate those in some of our breaks in the coming weeks, and we appreciate Har for sending those in. And that guy, by the way, has a fantastic radio voice. He's got some pipes. He does. I, I, I just really am impressed. But thanks, Har, for, for contributing those, and we'll be using those in the coming weeks. Thank you, Har. Uh, all right. Let's uh, continue our discussion tonight. All right. So the second question is when? When should the Lord's Supper be observed? And as a follow-up, how often should it be observed? Well, we actually have an answer to that question in the New Testament, and it comes from, and I think all of our listeners probably uh, know where we're heading here. Acts 20, verse 7 tells us when Christians met. You know, Jesus told us what to do and what elements to do when we were doing it. Jesus never said when mm-hmm. to observe the Lord's Supper. But in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we have the example of first century Christians it says, Acts 20, verse 7, upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them ready to depart tomorrow and continued his speech till midnight. So this is what we would call approved apostolic example. This was Christians meeting, but we have the additional uh, consideration that the inspired apostle Paul was there in their assembly and they met on the first day of the week to, to observe the Lord's Supper. The breaking of bread there, by the way, we don't have time to go into that. The expression break bread in the New Testament can refer to eating a common meal, but it also can refer to the Lord's Supper clearly here. And, and I'm not going to take time to make that argument. If, if we have a question about it, we can, we can deal with it later. But this was meeting to observe the Lord's Supper. 
Now, that's the only information we have. You can search the New Testament from front to back, and you won't find another single time reference when the Lord's Supper should be observed. And and every once in a while, we get somebody who wants to quibble that point. You say, well, it only says it once. And our response to that would be, how often does it have to say it before it becomes a binding pattern? Right. Uh, I mean, are, are you going to say, well, it would have to be mentioned at least five times before it would be expected for us to follow? Oh, no, I'd say ten times. Who said? I, I used the illustration in the, in the sermon the other night. So your rich uncle sends a message to you, and he says, show up at my house next Thursday, and I'll give you a million dollars. He never said that before, and he hasn't repeated it since. He only said it once. Am I going to go to his house? That would be enough. Yeah, I'm going to go to his house next Thursday and get my million, right? So, you know, how many times, the fact that it's mentioned once should not be a deterrent to us to take that to heart and and say uh, that the, the pattern, the New Testament pattern, is for observance on the first day of the week. All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeu dot com. You know, there's a connection with the Sabbath day as well. Uh, that when uh, the Sabbath day came around, um, that they 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 knew it was time to observe the Sabbath. Well, that goes to the second part of that question. So it, w- it was to be observed on the first day of the week. How often? With what frequency on the first day of the week? You know, every week has a first day, but I mean. Was it the first day of the? Was it the first first day of the month? In other words, the first Sunday each month. Was it the first Sunday after the full moon? Uh, was it the first Sunday after the spring equinox? Was it Christmas? When was it? Easter. So, uh, first of all, we've got we've got denominational organizations that will observe the Lord's Supper on any given day of the week. They're not, they, they're not restrictive on that. Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. They have no authority for that. The only New Testament authority is first day of the week, Sunday. And the authority is for an every Sunday observance. Again, it doesn't say that it was a specific Sunday. It just says it was a Sunday. And you are forced. This is a necessary conclusion, a necessary inference that this was an every Sunday observance because the fact that it doesn't specify which Sunday it was indicates it was done every Sunday. And as you pointed out, uh, in Ex- Exodus 20, verse 8. Pretty easy to remember that, Exodus 20, Acts 20, verse 7, Exodus 20, verse 8. Yeah, Exodus 20, verse 8 is where Moses was given the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment was, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Which one, Moses? Which one, God? God, you're giving these laws. Moses is recording. Which one? Well, he didn't specify which one. And so the Jews took it to mean properly that it meant every time there's a Sabbath day, keep it holy. So, again, that's the principle. That's the logic. That's the reasoning we're using to say it has to be on Sunday and it should be every Sunday. And it also appears that the Christians in the first century were meeting on that day as well, given the other instructions that they were told to fulfill. Yeah, uh, I think this is kind of interesting. In First Corinthians six, this is sort of this is not about Lord's Supper. This is about giving, actually. But in First Corinthians sixteen, verse one, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him a store as that God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Which first day of the week, Paul? He didn't specify. But you know, here's what's interesting. 
All denominations take up a collection every Sunday. They never miss a chance to take up a collection. Well, if, if the first day of the week means that in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, why doesn't it mean that also in Acts 20, verse 7? Got to be consistent. Yeah. All right. Uh, Kent says we ought to take the Lord's Supper, or we should, we must take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7. The Lord's Supper must be observed every first day of the week. Please consider this. While the Lord's Supper is not the only avenue of worship wherein we approach God, Acts 20, verse 7 indicates that the Lord's Supper was the focal point of the first day of the week worship assembly. Christians are to assemble every first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Act, uh, Hebrews 10, verse 25, the Lord's Supper is to be observed in the first day of the week worship assembly, Acts 20, verse 7. Therefore, the Lord's Supper is to be observed every first day of the week. Okay, thanks, Ken. And Dwight says the Lord's Supper should be taken on the first day of the week, Sunday. Any time on that day is what is authorized. There is one verse I know of pertaining to the frequency of partaking the Lord's Supper, and that is Acts 20, verse 7. Exactly. And Mohan says it should be observed weekly on Sundays. Thank you, Mohan. And finally, Jim says the Lord's Supper should, in parentheses, he says, must be observed upon the first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, and 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. How often? Every first day of the week, he says. Yeah. Again, right. we got pretty good agreement on that among, uh, among our respondents. I, we would not have as wide agreement about that among some in the denominational world who, who, would, who would differ with us on both parts. They would say it's not limited to just Sunday. And it certainly doesn't have to be observed every Sunday. I, I pulled off an article here from a website that I've seen from time to time called gotquestions.org. And the question was asked, how often should the Lord's Supper be observed? And the answer, you notice the answer, I won't read all this, but is the Bible nowhere instructs us how often we should take the communion. Uh, it would seem, since we take the Lord's Supper to remember Christ's death, we should take it fairly often. In any case, it's not the frequency that matters, but the heart attitude of those who participate. Well, I'd say it's, it's about the heart, but it's also about observing the instruction. It, it does matter because it is specified. All right. He says it's not ever instruct. We're never instructed about how often. I think we are. All right. Uh, Brian in California says, I've heard over the years remarks in preparation of the Lord's Supper serving uh, regarding extolling the resurrection of Jesus' body, Christ's victory over death. I do recognize the total, totality found in the death, burial, and resurrection, but do we err be going beyond the Lord's death and that alone in partaking the communion? First Corinthians 11, verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I think you're Absolutely, right about that. Brian. I think you're right about that, Brian. I've heard the, the same thing uh, where we're, we're here to remember the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. Actually, we're here to remember his death. Yep. Uh, the burial resurrection, obviously vital to us, but the Lord's Supper is, is to remember his death. We do show forth his death till he comes. First Corinthians 11 says that. And these elements are for the, the, what was given for the remission of our sins. The resurrection from the dead was not for the remission of our sins. That gives us hope. Uh, yeah. But the, 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 the Christ's sacrifice on the cross was for the remission of our sins. Yeah. Uh, Jay, if you want to grab our, our break and then when we get back, we got to, we're going to get into the controversial elements of the, of this discussion. Can an individual Christian observe the Lord's Supper by himself? And does coming together virtually over the internet qualify as an assembly wherein the Lord's Supper may be observed? We want to hear your thoughts. If you haven't signed in yet to the chat room, do so and share your thoughts there or give us an email or give us a call. Let us know. Can we virtually congregate 
and take the Lord's Supper. Or if I'm all by myself, can I take the Lord's Supper? Not virtually. Not virtually. I'm just out there. You I'm, really are. I'm out, I'm, I'm out on a remote island by myself. Okay. Can I take the Lord's Supper? Give us your thoughts. We're back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Do you wonder why things are done the way they are done? Do you have questions about the work, worship, or operation of the congregation? Does it seem that there are things going on that you don't understand? Are there issues floating around that trouble you? Are there times when you don't really agree with the decisions that are being made? If so, join the club. We all face the kind of questions and concerns that we've just described. The big question is not, will such issues arise? The question is, how will you deal with these things when they happen? Let us offer some do's and don'ts for handling these potentially difficult situations. Don't get angry and upset before you have gathered all the facts. Don't gossip or backbite. This doesn't help and it's actually a sin. Don't complain if you don't intend to get busy correcting the problem. Typically, churches have way too many fault finders, not near enough problem solvers. Don't immediately assume the worst about your brethren. Too often we hear harsh, judgmental words about the elders, the preacher, or other members before the facts have all been sorted out. True love demands better than this, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning verse 4. Now, do ask for information. Very often, any disagreement or controversy can be quickly cleared up this way. Second, if there's a problem, go directly to the source. Speak to the one or ones involved and work for a solution. Also, pray for wisdom in dealing with the problem, asking for God's help to do and say the right things, James 1, verse 5. And do be aware that maintaining sound doctrine is the highest priority, Galatians 1, 8, 9, but maintaining peace must also be an important goal for every member, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeu.com. And uh, check out some streaming sermons and worship services. Actually, you can find, I, I checked to make sure that we got this up, but this this sermon that, that we're sort of expounding upon tonight about the Lord's Supper Essentials from last Sunday night here at College U is online. You can listen to the sermon there, but it'd be, we're trying to make some of those same points and sort of expand about them here in the, sermon, in the study tonight. All right, Kyle's got it looking good there. Uh-oh, you're muted, Kyle. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Uh, yeah, that's hopefully uh, there will be uninterrupted for uh, an indefinite time so yeah. yeah okay good yeah hopefully so all right uh all right so now to the maybe controversial parts of this study about the lord's supper elements can an individual christian observe the lord's supper by himself i we haven't talked about this nearly as much as the things we've already talked about in this in, in our study but i think it's a clearly specified essential of scriptural observance that we do it in the assembly of the saints we could look at Acts 20, verse 7 again. It, the, when the saints came together to break bread, they came together. They weren't doing it on their own. They weren't doing it individually. They came together. And, to, and, and Paul, had some, Paul had some other things going on in his life. He wasn't just 
on vacation you, you know, time. It actually says in the verses just leading up to this, they arrived in Troas and waited for seven days for this assembly. It, it appears if you get a calendar out, he waited seven days. They must have arrived in Troas just after the conclusion of, of the first day, of the, the previous first day of the week. And they waited for seven days in order to have this assembly for... Which hey, would also argue you can't just do this any day you week. want or by yourself yeah. because Paul's ready to go. Apparently, it sounds like he's got his bag. He, he's back. in a hurry. He's got yeah, it. Yeah. The, the context would say he's in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem. Yeah, so he's uh, he's not just going to well, we'll take it on the road. You know, they should I rest area down the down the way down the path there. We'll just stop there. We'll pull the pull the mules over and do it there. So again, it was in the assembly, and then. Several statements in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is talking about how the Corinthian church had violated and abused the the observance of the Lord's Supper. So understand the way these verses are worded is worded as a rebuke to them because they weren't doing it right. But notice 1 Corinthians 11 verse 18. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you. I probably believe it. So he's talking about. In their assembly, verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, get this. It should have been coming together to observe the Lord's Supper, but they were abusing it. But notice, they were coming together in one place. Verse 34, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together unto condemnation. So, all of those, in other words, he's rebuking the Corinthians, we understand that. So it's the, everything here is worded sort of in the negative. But he's emphasizing they're coming together. They're coming together in one place. I actually think that context, beginning there in the last half of chapter 11 and running all the way through chapter 14, talking about their assemblies and things they were doing in their assemblies. Chapter 14, verse 23, speaks about the whole church come together into one place. So... Uh, all, all indications are that the Lord's Supper was to be done in the assembly of the saints. If I'm alone on Sunday, I do not know where I would go in the New Testament to find authority for observing the Lord's Supper by myself. It was always when saints came together, when the whole church came together in one place. All references for this to be done in the assembly of the saints. And can we also comment on what I believe uh, Jim said, or Kent mentioned, and our necessity to meet, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. God has given us an instruction to meet, not only to protect the Lord's Supper, but also to meet. And so if I'm not in an assembly... And I have a reason that God would excuse you. you know, I'm just I'm physically ill. I can't do that. Or being in in the assembly would endanger the health of other people. You know, I've got some kind of infectious disease that could kill other people or whatever it may be. If if I am not in the assembly for a reason that God excuses, God excuses me from partaking. All, he for, he excuses you from all aspects of worship. Every aspect of worship. In other words, you're not there to sing either. Yeah. You're not there to engage in the other acts of worship, but if you're if you're properly Excuse. hindered from being there, then God understands that He's not holding you accountable to take the Lord's Supper or anything else. On the flip side, if I'm there, not there, and I could be, maybe I chose to be on vacation and or put other priorities in place where I wouldn't be able to assemble, then. Taking the Lord's Supper in my hotel Hang on room. That. Now you're going to. But I'm just going to say that doesn't 
excuse that doesn't make it right. You know, yeah. well, you didn't assemble, but oh, you took the Lord's Supper. We'll check that off. We're fine. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, we would take. I, uh, I would be with my mom and dad, and if somebody was in the hospital. They actually had a little traveling kit, and they would take this. They would take the Lord's Supper to a person, and I remember being with them, taking it into the hospital room, and they'd have the Lord's Supper for the sick person in the hospital bed. I now think that was a big mistake. That person's in the hospital. Lord understands he can't assemble. Uh, there's no requirement for him to assemble and take the Lord's Supper. It's understood. Uh, so anyway. Uh, let's, let's look at our emailers real quick, Jacob. Uh, Kent says, Lord's Supper is to be observed the first day of the week, worship assembly, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty, Hebrews ten twenty five. Such being the case, I do not see how an individual Christian by himself can scripturally eat the Lord's Supper. Such would be taking place outside the first day of the week, assembly. And Dwight says, I do not believe one can partake by themselves. This is an act of congregational worship. 1 Corinthians 11 clearly states it is a worship done with other Christians. Mohan says there are no examples in the Bible where one took the Lord's Supper by himself or when some, or where someone took the Lord's Supper to an individual's home to partake if they could not attend the assembly. And Jim in Kentucky says an individual Christian can observe the Lord's Supper by himself, but in so doing, he would not be complying with the Lord's command to come together. So he said physically you could, but God would not approve, what, uh, which at the very least infers more than one person. Therefore, oh, he should... He would, would simply he, be. He would simply be partaking of unleavened bread and grape juice and would not be following our Lord's command. Okay. Very good. And Brian uh, in California says, a few years back, I visited a congregation in San Diego where everyone partook on Sunday evening as well. Everyone. Is it wrong to partake twice on the first day of the week? I've known of congregations that do that. I, I, I have a friend who preaches up in Kentucky, and he takes that view. If one's going to partake of it, all must partake of it uh, on Sunday evening. Uh, that's that's a little bit different question. Uh Maybe we maybe we could do a follow. That, that sort of gets into the Sunday night Lord's Supper question, which I don't really we don't have time to deal with. But hang on to that, Brian. We may we may want to address that in a different study. Okay, all right. Um, okay. Now, having said all that, here's a new consideration. Does coming together? This is question four. Does coming together virtually? over the Internet qualify as an assembly wherein the Lord's Supper may be observed. Um, This has really been amplified during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, And churches have been doing it. I know places that have been doing this. Uh, I have family and friends who have done this. And so I'm watching over the Internet because I'm very diligent. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the assembly. I'm not going to the assembly, but I'm very diligent to watch the live stream. Some folks have been saying maybe the live stream is becoming counterproductive. People are staying away with the self-justification. As long as I watch on the Internet, I've covered my bases. I don't, th- I don't think those virtual assemblies cover the bases very well. Uh, that's, another, that's a whole other consideration. But could I take the Lord's Supper that way? Because I'm, I'm virtually connected uh, w- with others via the online stream. Uh, I'm going to argue that that is not authorized and that that it does not constitute a coming together. Notice, I want to go back to those same verses in 1 Corinthians 11. Come together in the church. Come together, therefore, into one place. Come together in verse 34, chapter 14, verse 23. The whole church be come together into one place. 
So this is talking about geographical location. Yeah. This is not talking about some virtual coming together. This is talking about coming together in in one geographical spot. Uh, so here's the objection I've heard. Well, of course, for Christians in the first century, that was their only option. They didn't have Zoom. They didn't have anything like Internet. And mm-hmm. so that was the only way that they could possibly come together. But in the Internet age... Uh, we have a new option. We have this virtual world, and we can come together virtually. They could have never even imagined such a thing as that. Wait a minute. Be careful when you make that assumption that they that they didn't understand the idea of remote presence. I want to I want to take you to chapter five, First Corinthians chapter five, same epistle. Okay. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you, uh, I think many of our listeners will remember Paul was telling the Corinthian church that they needed to take care of a matter of an immoral brother. Yep. Uh, it starts out in verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, so on, so on, so on. He goes on, he says, Ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that have done this deed might be taken away from among you. For note, he says, For I verily as absent in body but present in spirit... Have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are gathered together and my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul and the Corinthians understood the idea of remote presence. Mm-hmm. He, if, But I think what's really the interesting contrast in the same epistle, when he was discussing the observance of the Lord's Supper, he said, come together in one place. He didn't say, you all take it over there and I'll take it over here. We'll be together in the in the partaking of this. I think it's clear they, they understood the idea of remote presence. But when it came to partake the Lord's Supper, the terminology is explicitly clear. Come together in one place. So and, I'm going to argue that the virtual assembling does not get the job done. And it's contrasted with being at home. If you're hungry, eat at home. Yeah. So there's obviously a difference here than just, you know, we'll do it remotely. You know, we're we're leaving where we would be and getting to another place where their Christians will be assembled, and we don't do that uh, virtually. Yeah. See what our emailer said, Jake. Kent says, no, it does not. An assembly involves Christians coming together in one place. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, Hebrews 10, verse 25. Dwight says coming together virtually has been a new thing this past year for many people need to take a very close look at the scriptures and see that we are not coming together in one place virtually as 1 Corinthians 11 states. And then Mohan says... uh, I don't think he covered that one. He did not cover that one. Uh, And then uh, what Jim says. Jim says coming together means in one place. Paul told the Corinthians that wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. That you come not together into condemnation. So they're coming together with someplace other than at home. Other than at home. This infers a personal coming together, a coming together in person, not over distance. If one can come together over the Internet, why not through the mail or over the phone? Why mention Terry one for another unless they were in person at the same place at the same time? No virtual partaking of the Lord's Supper may be popular with some during this virus, but does not conform to the scriptures and therefore is not a substitute. This is becoming a really big issue. I've read a study recently that said some are estimating that as many as 30% of churches will never come back together and, and to meet in one place. Really? They said there's going to be a flood of church buildings 
on the real estate market because churches are going to go virtual and they're going to and they're never going to come back from that after the pandemic. Really? Isn't that crazy? You know, I watched service recently where that's been months ago now, but during this pandemic where they were taking the the Lord's Supper virtually and the gentleman leading the discussion prior to the, you know getting people's thoughts uh, in line for the for Lord's Supper. He prefaced them taking it virtually by with the statement, I believe the Lord understands the situation that we're in. Boy. Isn't that dangerous? Yeah, that opens the door to anything and everything. Isn't that dangerous? We're, I had a guy I had a guy come to me one time. He'd actually been a preacher, but he, he had di- dived off the deep end. He, he had left his wife and was living with another woman. And, and uh, he came to see me, actually looked me up, and we were talking about his particular spiritual state. And, and so here's a guy who had left his faithful wife and was living with another woman. And you know what he said? I think the Lord understands. I think the Lord understands. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> if you're going to use that justification, then there's no stopping place. Well, you don't need God anymore because you can figure it out by yourself. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it definitely is scary, uh, Kyle, when we start to make justification that way. We've got to understand our, our our requirement to have Bible authority for all that we do. Yeah. Our own feelings and think so's. If we rely solely on those, we're going to go straight, straight very quickly and very – It's there's no – It'll be gray area. Yeah, no stop. I'm, yeah, and I'm so. sure this gentleman was very sincere in that. But we do we do step back and think about what we're saying and what we're doing and the justification that we're giving for it. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Let's get a break. All right. Then we're going to come back. Now this is not this is not a question that is specifically new to the coronavirus pandemic and changes it's made to the way people think and act about the Lord's Supper. This actually way predates that. But the question is, if two or three are gathered together, that phrase, of course, comes from Matthew eighteen twenty. Does that necessarily mean that they can scripturally observe the Lord's Supper because there's two or three of them together? All right. Now we're getting into it. Let's uh, take a break. We'll get back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Misconception number 56. The folks at Collegeview Church of Christ aren't led by the Spirit. They're afraid of Him. Some people say this, but it's simply not true. The fact is, there is not a single thing we do at the Collegeview Church of Christ without first getting the Holy Spirit's approval. Granted, we don't have healing crusades, miracle ministries, or slayings in the Spirit, but we refuse to do anything without Holy Ghost guidance. You may have been misled about us. Why not come learn the truth about the Collegeview Church of Christ this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m.? Remember, the truth will set you free. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A recent survey indicated that the cutoff for the wealthiest 50% of the global income distribution was $2,138. For the top 10% and 1%, the cutoffs were respectively $61,000 and $510,000. The bottom 10% of the U.S. income distribution falls in the upper 30% of the global income distribution. According to the Department of Health and Human Services, the poverty line for an individual in the United States was 10,830 in the year 2010. Someone at that poverty line in the United States is in the top 14% of the global income distribution. That information is via the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. The Word of God says in 1 Timothy 6, beginning verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. 
And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program. We're talking about the Lord's Supper and our instructions for taking the Lord's Supper and making sure we have Bible authority for all that we do. Okay, so our last question is if two or three are gathered together, uh, does that necessarily mean that they can scripturally observe the Lord's Supper? The, this comes from a statement that Jesus made in Matthew 18, verse 20, where he said, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, the way that that is applied sometimes is, well, we're on a camping trip, and uh, we're kind of out in a remote place, and there's not anybody, there's not any congregation. It, it would be an hour, maybe close to two hours to drive any place where faithful brethren are meeting on the Lord's Day. But we've got three guys here who are all Christians, and we brought some provisions with us. We brought a little bottle of grape juice, and we've got some unleavened bread. We're just going to have our own service right here in the woods on the camping trip. Or... Uh, we're on vacation at at this uh, resort, and uh, you know we don't want to lose any time on the roller coasters. It's Sunday, and so we're going to get up just early enough because we brought some provisions with us. We're going to have a little service in our hotel room, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and then we're off to ride the roller coasters. Does the, when two or three gather together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, Matthew 18, verse 20, is that a legitimate application of that principle? Uh, and I want to argue that it's not. I think, do we have a phone call? We do call? have a phone call. Uh, let's go to Jeanette in Milton, Vermont. Jeanette, are you there? Yes. Hey, Jeanette, thanks for calling and, uh, and tonight. Thanks for listening to the program. Uh, what, uh, what, what's your question tonight? Yes, I was wondering... Um, it, you're, when you don't partake of the Lord's Supper, say there's only two of you and you're meeting in your home, for one thing, you know, because there's no other congregations around, then if you're not partaking of the Lord's Supper, then you are breaking the command to take, eat, take, drink, remember me. Okay. Uh, let me be clear on this. Because I've been in places where the church is made up of two or three people. Meeting in a home. Meeting in a home. But that is the church in that place. And we're not talking about And I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the questions I got after the lesson on Sunday night. If that is the church, then that is the church and certainly constitutes a fair and scriptural observance of Lord's Supper. And so we're not speaking against that at all because I have been in places where the church was just two or three or five, just a handful of people. And certainly if that is the church, then that's the whole church. Because remember the terminology there in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23, the whole church come together in one place. That would, that would fit the bill. That would be the whole church. So we're not speaking against that practice whatsoever. Does that okay, clarify but, that? But, but when Greg was talking about how his parents would take uh, some to the hospital room, what about all the shut-ins who can't come out because of their frailties, you know, they're in nursing homes and stuff. If they're not able to come out, then God understands that. Uh, okay. So, but, I, all right. So, uh, going back to this virtual, uh, the, the, uh, the Zooming, um, are you saying that when we do that, because our congregation does practice this, uh, some of them 
what they do is they just don't partake if they believe the way you do. Mm-hmm. They just don't partake of it. And um, uh, and I uh, I was just wondering, do you think that's a sin, that, that they're partaking of the Lord's Supper even even though they're not together? I think they're not following the New Testament authority. I'll say uh, that's as plain as I can say it. The New Testament authority is for coming together in one place. Jeanette, do you agree that when the verses that we looked at from 1 Corinthians 11 uh, talk about them coming together in one place to take the Lord's Supper? So, I mean, do you, you, I mean, would you agree that that's what they were doing and that was the instruction there? I do, but when uh, Jesus set it up, you know, I. It doesn't say anything about when Jesus was instituting it. It doesn't say that everybody has to be together. Jesus didn't deal with that part of it, but Paul did in no, First Corinthians. Well, but Jesus didn't. When Jesus didn't deal with the first day of the week, taking it on the first day of the week either. Um, so, I mean, we have to we have to let we we'd have to take the entirety of what this, of the scriptures teach on on the practice to determine. What, it, what we should do, and because we want to be careful, and we want to make sure that we're doing it in a way that God approves. And, and so if I, if I take of it in, in the assembly, because that's what they did and what they were told to do in 1 Corinthians 11, I know that God's pleased with that. And you could give book, chapter, and verse authority for doing it that way. But if I zoomed it and I wasn't together, I can't go to the Bible and say, yeah, God approves of this, because I don't have any passage that would say it would be okay. I'd have to argue well, for I'd have to argue my from... problem. Go ahead, my, my problem, I guess, is that um, I've always been taught how important it was to partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't able to, I would feel like I was in sin, especially if there was nothing wrong with me, you know. And I would say I'm home with sick children. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm if just tending if, to the kids because if, I can't take them. If right. you're home with sick kids, God understands that. If you are legitimately hindered. For whatever reason. Now, again, I think that's different than uh, I'm going off on a fishing trip and, and you know. Uh, well, yeah, it is. But, yeah, I'm but not if, talking about I know, that. I know I, you're not. But I think if, if it is, if you are legitimately hindered from being able to be in the assembly, God understands that. He does not hold you accountable for doing what you're not able to do. But. Uh, we could probably talk about this all night. We're just about out of time. But, Jeanette, it is important that we take the Lord's Supper on the first day. But I also say it's important that I sing and admonish my brethren and, and teach and admonish in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And that that goes that takes place on the first day of the week as well. And so, if you know, a lot of these Zoom things, we're not doing that uh, just because the technology isn't there to make that happen. So... I would say you know, so, that, that's very important as well. So it doesn't it doesn't matter that my conscience is being hurt uh, because I'm not t- partaking of it, like because we were home for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the conscience, you know, the, the, the this, conscience, uh, is, but your conscience is not the authority. Your conscience does not dictate Bible authority, and so I think you just need to consider the, the the totality of the New Testament teaching on a scriptural observance of the Lord's Supper. And, and, and if you're not able to be in the assembly, then you can't observe the Lord's Supper with scriptural authority. We can talk if if you like to talk privately about it some more. We can. We got to hurry on, but uh, we appreciate you calling. Yeah, Janet, really do appreciate you calling and uh, and talking with us tonight about uh, about this. this is very important, and uh, a lot of there are a lot of questions, a lot of uh, concerns, and and we do appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Okay, thanks, Jake. Th- th- thank you, and Greg. Thank you. Good night. Good night.
Bye-bye. All right, good. Appreciate uh, Jeanette's call. Appreciate her listening up there in Vermont. Uh, we're going to have to go real quickly. We might run just a little bit over. Hang, hang with us. I think this is a really important thing to consider. The two or three coming together. So we're in the hotel room, and we're going to gobble down the Lord's Supper just before we head over to the amusement park. The lines are shorter on Sunday morning. Yeah. If that two or three coming together in the hotel room constitutes a church, then think about this. We have churches popping up and quickly disbanding all over the place. Uh, In that hotel room, just before heading off to the amusement park, this church met to observe the Lord's Supper, and then they disbanded never to meet again. Is that what you really want to argue for? Is that really the position you want to take? I, I don't. But I think what we got to do especially is look more carefully at the context of Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is not talking about the Lord's Supper or assembly even at all. It's talking about the discipline of an unruly brother. Verse 15, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go to him and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained your brother. We know this context. One-on-one. If you've sinned against me, Jacob, I go to you one-on-one. All right. If he will not hear thee, you won't hear me. So I take one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I take Kyle with me. Me and Kyle are going to come to you. Well, wait a minute. That's two of us. That's two or three gathered together. Hold on to that. Uh, If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, then let him be unto thee as a heathen man in the public. Wait a minute. The two of us... Two or three together is clearly distinguished from the church in that immediate context of the statement where two or three are gathered together. There am I in the midst of them. Jesus was just saying, if you if you must discipline an unruly brother and you do it scripturally, I am with you in that. I, I, I endorse what you're doing. I support your activities. It doesn't have one thing at all to do with worship or the observance of the Lord's Supper. It's a misuse of Matthew 18:20 to apply it to any part of the assembly or the Lord's Supper specifically. It does not have anything to do with that. One of the scriptures that has been abused and butchered uh, during this pandemic, certainly Matthew 18, verse 20, along the lines of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in the present distress, uh, another verse that yeah. the people have used as sort of their get-out-of-jail-free card, uh, where we don't have to have authority because we're in a public present distress certainly not the case here's what kent says matthew 18 verse 20 is not discussing a worship assembly the context describes brethren agreeing together regarding a matter of discipline i agree that it is possible for a situation to arise where only two or three christians might constitute a new testament first day of the week worship assembly first or acts 20 or 7 first corinthians 16 1 and 2 acts hebrews 10 25 however such would not be the case on the basis yeah, and, of matthew and to clarify again if if two or three christians is all there is in this local congregation, that 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 constitutes the whole congregation. Then that's that is the church come together in one place. We're not talking about that. But the church is to come together in one place yeah. in First Corinthians chapter eleven. Uh, Dwight, if if that is all there is in a local congregation, then yes. But for people who choose to stay away and partake of the Lord's Supper as a matter of convenience and satisfy their conscience, then no, the, this verse in Matthew eighteen is not dealing with an act of worship. It has to do with dealing with a disorderly brother. We see nowhere in the scriptures where Christians separate from the church to fulfill this act of worship. Let's take Jim's and then come back to Mohan's. Okay. Jim in Kentucky, 
uh, it has a piece of paper here that's stuck. There it is. The, the passage dealing with Matthew 18, verse 20, seems in context to be dealing with witnesses for telling the truth and dealing with the need to reveal a problem to the congregation when one is trying to resolve an issue with a brother. I do not know if this passage can be applied to the idea of segregating a congregation. If a congregation is only made up of a couple of members, then two or three of those have come together. Uh, we do, but I do not know if there is a larger group or, or for some reason some decide not to come together and instead stay at home and then partake of the Lord's Supper at the same time if this is acceptable. Uh, yeah, He says he he has concern about it. I, I think it's wrong. I think it's scripture. There's wrong. another issue that we haven't talked about, and that is these these groups that are breaking up into smaller groups. So the, mm-hmm. the A through F meets at 10 and then. Mm-hmm. That's the, yeah. that's not that's not the whole church come together either. Yeah, that's right. We got. I mean, hey, listen, we're talking about Bible authority. It's that important. I mean, if we can't go changing the elements, I, I I know some congregations doing that, and I'm actually quite appalled. That is not the pattern for new first day of the week assembly, right. and certainly not the pattern for partaking the Lord's Supper. And it, it, just because we're in a a pandemic or a different uh, situation than we've been in before. We can't just throw Bible authority out the window. If we can't change the elements, then it's important we follow all of the scriptural uh, instructions on this observance. Yeah. Mohan says, I don't think that particular context implies that. For example, two families go camping together on a weekend and there's no sound church nearby. I don't think they have authority to do so in that situation. I know okay, of... stop there. So he agrees with us at that point. Okay. Now he's going to ask another situation. I know of a church where just about the whole church went camping together about three hours from their local assembly on, and was on a particular weekend. It was a, like a retreat, and they had service together on Sunday at the campsite and had acts of worship, of singing, preaching, giving, and having the Lord's Supper together there. Please see if you can comment on that scenario. Okay. My comment on that scenario would be we don't have, the whole church doesn't have to come together in this place. In other words, we're not saying that the church building is the sacred one place where the, all the coming together must be. What if this church building burned down? Yeah. Or, and Sunday... We're going to meet at the park yep. under a shade tree. Yep. Well, that'd be the whole church come together in one place. Yep. And so we could do that. But, but again, be real careful about but let's changes go, for convenience. Let's go back to Mohan's. I know a church where just about the whole church went camping about yeah. three hours from their local assembly was. Doesn't sound to me like the whole church is gathered together in one place in that scenario, does yeah. it? There's a, almost all of them almost, are in one place, almost. but the, the church is still meeting back where I, they would normally. I, I wouldn't go for that. All right. Uh, well, good discussion. Lots of questions. I mean, we haven't covered them all, and so maybe solicitors would like to comment uh, in See, email. If you've got more questions, yep. send them in. Or if you disagree with what we've said tonight, uh, send them in. Uh, that, that we'd like to hear from you. We could we could continue the discussion next week if necessary. You know, this, this is a very unusual time. Questions that we never would have had. To, would anybody in, ni- in 2019 suggested that Zooming the Lord's Supper would be even be something that you would even think about? And now we're thinking about it, and people have questions about it. So there are lots of questions about the Lord's Supper. It's and, good. And, and if you got some follow-up questions, send them in. We'll try to deal with them. I, and I apologize to Jennifer uh, in the Gmail inbox. I see that Jennifer sent in a question about the fermented wine. Uh, 
and uh, and we just don't have time to comment about it, but we'll try to comment about it in the future. We may want to do a follow-up program on this and catch some of these other considerations. So if you've got some follow-up yep, questions, absolutely. send them in. Send them in. It's up to you if we have another follow-up program or not. Good discussion. We went a little long tonight, Kyle, but I guess it's just sort of payback for not being on the air the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, which I've missed it. It's uh, good to be back. Man, good. Thanks for being with us mm-hmm. tonight, Kyle. Uh, Dad, a good discussion. Yeah, again, lots of questions to talk yeah. about, lots yeah. of different scenarios, uh, but uh, certainly things that are important to discuss. Exactly right. Thanks for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for joining us. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.